This episode of The Bryantland Show is brought to you by OnX Hunt. From Stone Mountain, Georgia, this is The Bryantland Show. Hosted by Proud Gamecock and South Carolinian AB3. All right, everybody, welcome to the hippest trip in hunting. The Soul. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was watching um, <laughs> American Soul before uh, I got started uh, to record. This introduction to this podcast, American Soul, of course, is the uh, drama that's basically dealing with uh, all the things behind the scenes uh, with Soul Train, you know, the Soul Train show from back in the day. It's a great program. I love watching it, season finale. So I was watching that before I got ready to record. So it was a little bit of uh, Soul Train influence here. But disregard all of that. Welcome to the Bryantland Show. Thank you for coming in, taking the time to make the download and listen to the world-class audio that we are putting on for y'all. So I, I appreciate you. We got a great show. Steve Hayes is my guest this week. Uh, Steve is a friend of mine, colleague. We worked together uh, in the sports television uh, industry for a number of years. So Steve's the guest. Good stuff. Enjoyed talking to him. But before I get in to introducing Steve and breaking down, you know, our conversation, I've had some interesting things happen this week leading up to uh, before I got ready to mash record on this intro. Um, I received a phone call from my neighbor down at my uh, hunting property and we all know the importance of neighbors you know you want to try to coexist you know with your neighbor you know some people are fortunate enough to be on the same page and you know do things together and you know like minds all that good stuff um, especially when you got a neighbor on a hunting property so I got a call from my neighbor a few days ago telling me that he was out there doing some things, getting some paths, clearing a path, you know, on his property, something similar to mine, uh, this, that, and the other. And he told me that I guess from where he was at, he could see uh, how I had set up a feeder in a certain area, trying, you know, obviously to uh, not only supplemental feed, the deer that are on my property, but, you know, also trying to get a good pattern. So hopefully by, you know, the start of deer season, I can get a good pattern, find out where they're coming, all that good stuff, and ultimately make a kill on deer, um, especially a nice buck. So that's the game plan. Got the game plan in place. I get a phone call from him telling me that he set up a feeder um, a little bit ahead of where mine is. Now, 
Obviously, there's nothing that I can really do because he set it up on his property, on you know, on his side of the property line. But these are the things that are frustrating when you put a plan in place and it gets blown up before it can fully materialize. Now, I mean, of course, you know, I can try to have a conversation and explain to him why, you know, having two feeders in such a close proximity is really not a good idea, all of that. But like I said, at the end of the day, it's his property. So he's not doing anything illegal. He's not like he set it up, you know, on my side of the property or anything like that. But like I said, it's just just a little bit of frustrating, just a little bit frustrating. You know, you would think that, you know, dealing with another hunter, you know, they would think it through. Nevertheless, I go out a couple of days ago after receiving this phone call, just, you know, normal check-in period, make sure everything is situated. And ladies and gentlemen, I lie to you not, I am walking through the woods and it almost scared me to death because I saw a baby stroller. Again, not on my property on the other side and I'm like okay well what is a you know what's a baby stroller doing out here and of course I immediately think the worst I'm like oh my god hopefully you know one there's nobody out here trespassing two hopefully you know there's not been a kid or a baby or anything you know crazy happening you know out here you know a kid being abducted you know anything like that like all kinds of stuff like that run through my mind so as I walk up I get closer to this stroller, I see bags of corn, uh, empty bags of corn that are in this stroller. And I couldn't believe it. I called a buddy of mine. I sent him a picture and told him what was happening. Like, I I was blown away. Um, I really could not believe that that was the method uh, used to distribute the corn but nevertheless i mean i guess you got to do what you got to do and if you guys think i'm making this stuff up to just kill time on the podcast i urge you to go to my instagram at official bryantland and you will see the picture of said stroller said bags of corn and a lot of comments that are just like hey man got to do what you got to do got to get get it how you live uh, things of that nature, but you know, you move out to the to the country, or you set up, you know, an area out in the country to get away from the quote unquote city folks and the shenanigans of your neighbors. Uh, still somehow come back to uh, to play a role in what you got going on. I. I I don't know what to say about it, but like I said, go take a picture. If you don't believe me, go check out my Instagram at official Bryantland, and you will see the picture of the stroller with the bags of corn. It is the damnedest thing that I have ever seen in life. One last thing to put a button on the whole baby stroller and corn thing: go to your local, you know, mom and pop hardware store. Get you a wheelbarrow, get you a wagon, get something more industrial 
than taking the baby stroller out in the woods because it's not like, you know, they have like a home or anything out there. You had to bring that from your house to your hunting area in order to establish that. So that could you could easily stop by the uh, the local hardware store and uh, and picked you up, you know, like I said, a wheelbarrow or, you know, a wagon or something. But anyway, I digress. My guest this week is Steve Hayes. Old Steve Hayes was a camera operator for me when I directed high school football here in Georgia. Um, it's one of the first gigs I had when I started working for myself um, as a freelance director. Steve is a phenomenal cameraman and we reconnected a few weeks ago when I spoke to his class um, he's teaching a, um, a a video production class uh, down in Georgia State um, so I had the uh, the pleasure of joining and talking to his class um, during the zoom and you know that's one of the things that I enjoy doing you know giving back to the youngsters that want to try to get you know, in the business. So, um, Steve and I talked, uh, we talked offline, like I said, when I, after talking to his class, so I wanted him to come through and we just, uh, just shot it up here on the podcast. He had worked on some, uh, hunting videos and shot some hunts, uh, back in the day when he was up in New York. Um, and he was also doing some pheasant hunting and, uh, quail hunting and stuff like that when he was up in New York, but life has kind of taken him away from, you know, the hunting lifestyle, but he, he still loves it. He still loves talking about it. So we had a great, uh, great sit down, great conversation. So at this point, what I'm going to do is move on out the way. You guys kick back and listen to my conversation with my good buddy, Steve Hayes here on the Bryantland show. Bryantland. Steve, welcome to the Bryantland hey. show. Thank you. For taking the time, man, it's great to have you on. Oh, thanks, Adam. It's great to it's great to be here. Uh, I appreciate you you bringing me in. Yeah, you know we caught up uh, last week for uh, for a little while. Um, you're teaching a class now over at Georgia State media class, and you know, so I was glad to to get in and talk to uh, your students and try to help them out, you know, from a media standpoint. And in that conversation or going back and forth with your class, I found out something that I didn't even know uh, know about you, even though, you know, we've worked together and stuff from, you know, what you were doing and some of the things in your past uh, in the outdoors when you were up in Buffalo. Yeah, well, I, I I grew up in a small town in upstate New York called Geneva. It was uh, well, not small. It was like sixteen thousand people. And I started hunting uh, with my dad when I was oh, probably ten or eleven years old. Um, wow. My dad grew up. He was a, he was a farmer. Okay. And he had always he had always hunted, and uh, he went to Cornell and you know graduated with an agriculture degree, and. Uh, Wound up working at a bank <laughs> in, that, my, in my town. That now, and, that is something that you would never think a, a school like Cornell to turn out an agriculture major. Well, you know, agriculture was was big at Cornell. My grandfather uh, 
Dr. Hayes uh, taught agriculture there. And uh, they moved the families originally from Vermont and had a big uh, big history in farming. And uh, my grandfather taught there and had an uncle that taught veterinary science at Cornell. So, yeah, Cornell's a big agriculture and veterinary science uh, school. And believe it or not, you know, agriculture is one of the biggest industries in the country. You go to any state. And agriculture is like the number one industry. Oh yeah, definitely, so, definitely. It, it, it's funny what you said because it's like I can remember meeting one of the uh, state senators in South Carolina um, as a kid, and you know, living out in the country, growing up in South Carolina, I actually thought, okay, like one day I'm going to be a farmer, and the the senator was basically like, nah, you probably don't want to do that. You know, go to school, get your education, you know, go to college and and, and do something else. And, and that's always stuck with me because, like you said, in any state, you know, anywhere in the world, obviously, you know, farming plays a huge part in, oh, yeah. you know, our society or whatever. And, and that's always stuck with me. Like, I, I've always remembered, you know, him saying, you know, to – little young AB3, like, no, nah, you don't want to be a farmer. You know, you want to do something else. Well, it, you know what? There, there's always going to be farmers, and there, there's really big, successful farmers now. And school is such a huge part of it because it's not just going out and turning dirt anymore, you know? Right, right. Uh, there, there's a science to it. And, you know, my dad was a farmer. He, he uh you know, he grew up on a farm, went to Cornell, went into the Army. He was a paymaster right here in Georgia, down at Fort Benning. And uh, got out of the Army, started working at this bank, working as a teller, because he had that financial end, too. And then he started doing farm loans. That is what got us into the hunting thing. He later went on to be um, president of the bank for a number of years. But, you know, it was a city of 16,000. A lot of a bank's business is going to be agriculture loans. Right. So we knew a lot of these farmers, and he was close with a lot of them, which gave us access to a lot of land, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, Especially back in those times, you know, and, and it's funny because people still, you know, carry the tradition and do it now, but it's not as prevalent as it was, you know, back in those days, you know, like to gain access you know, you just simply went, you knocked on the door, you said, hey, you introduce yourself, you shake a man's hand or, you know, shake a woman's hand or whatever. If she was, you know, a widow or if the land was in her family or whatever the case was. And you basically you you made that relationship, you know, knocking door to door and you, you got hunting rights in exchange for, you know, the meat, whether it was, you know, right. venison, turkey or whatever. It, it is uh, a... I would dare to say lost art form uh, in some ways. Uh, yeah, I, I have to agree with you there because there's so, you know, that connection with a lot of people is gone, you know, and here we are, we're living in cities and houses and apartments and the like, and uh, we don't have that connection with the land that, you know, you would used to, or you get in a small, in a smaller town. But I, I remember my dad would go, he belonged to a, to a deer hunting club. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the White White Tail Hunt Club, and it was up on Italy Hill, 
near Naples, New York, which is up in its wine country. It's up in hills. There's hills, you know, just real rural, as you can imagine. Yep. And he would he would go up there, and you know, come back with it with a deer on the on the trunk lid of the car. And it was always like a big. I remember when I was a kid, that was like, "Well, okay, you know, it's a big deal." Right. And uh, so, you know, when I was ten or eleven, you know, I'd, I'd go up there with him. And uh, well, being at a hunt hunt camp with a bunch of older guys when you're ten or eleven years old is an eye opening experience too. <laughs> Pretty sure you see you see some things that scar you for life and that stick with you. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And it, you know, it was like, oh, geez. So, you know, I, I did that for several years. I got my first shotgun for my 13th birthday. And, you know, we'd go up there, you know, deer hunting. And my experience with deer hunting, they, they would drive. They would do drives. Yeah, the deer yeah. drives, yep. Yep. So that that's how they that's how they liked to hunt. I mean, they had just square mile, I don't know how many square miles, but it was just, you know, their land. And the thing still exists, and I have a friend who still belongs to that up there, but, you know, they would just drive deer, which, if you think about it logically now, is just, you know, you're you're shooting towards each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Blaze, Blaze Orange was big, but, I, you know, when you think back at it, at the way these guys would drink and all, you wouldn't <laughs> yeah, I, you would think like today it's a little. I know they still do uh, deer drives. I'm pretty sure it's a safety is a little bit more of a priority uh, right. these days. Um, but yeah, that that's the one thing that that I I haven't done. I don't know if I would, you know, ever really want to do it. Not knocking anybody that's ever done it or or likes to do it because it's definitely. A effective way to get uh, to get things done, especially if you're just out there trying to like you know clean almost uh, pseudo clean the woods out and get rid right. of a number you know a large number of deer. The drive is definitely an a, an effective uh, way to do it. Well, and you know that's what happened because you know every day there'd be another twenty deer or so. You know, hanging in trees outside the outside the camp. So, um, you know that that's uh, that was definitely a, you know an effective method of doing it. So, you know, I don't I don't know if if that's strictly an upstate New York thing. I know they're still doing it now. Yeah, and no, back and, then, yep. Back then, you know, you couldn't um, you couldn't leave bait. Yeah, the the baiting thing is definitely something it's a it's a hot button topic if you will uh in the hunting community you know there are people that are for it there are people that are against it there are people that are against it for really good reasons there are people that are against it for pretty much self-righteous reasons i personally i do it uh it's legal i don't have a problem with it um it helps the deer out in feeding them um, and it also, as a hunter, gives you an advantage, and you can go back and forth about, you know, the advantages and disadvantages and stuff like that. Um, but it is interesting, you know, like you said, like during that time, how you couldn't do that. And I mean, there's still places today, there are a lot of states today that where you can't do it. But if you're doing a deer drive, 
there's really no new yeah. debate because you're, <laughs> the, the way that drive that deer drive operates, when you drop the tailgate and you let those dogs loose, they they're going to find and essentially drive out the deer, which is why they call it a drive. So I mean that right. it's kind of well, a moot point. There were no dogs. The dogs were illegal to use for deer hunting. Really? So what Up did there, they then, do yeah, for so the deer? So you, it was just basically they, they like put, a human drive? They put a 10 or 11-year-old kid out there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You'd have people walking. Toward, you'd have a line of people waiting. And then, you know, you'd have someone else, you know, another group of people go on about a mile away. You know, you'd park at some, you know, two-track road. And you'd walk towards the other group. So that's why I thought, you know, yeah, this is, like, kind of crazy, you know? Yeah. So that, wow. That, yeah, yeah, I know. So Learn something new every day. I, I, Like I said, I, I'm familiar with, you know, deer drives in the south and, you know, with dogs and stuff like that. But, wow. Well, do- dogs are, you know, hunting with dogs is a big part. You know, down in the south, up in, up in uh, this was up in New York State. And when, when people think of New York, you think of, you know, New York City. Right. But you get up there, you know, I grew up in the Finger Lakes area, and it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful country. Yeah. Know? Yep. So. Upstate, um, uh, upstate New York. It's funny because I spent time in upstate New York. I had family up there. Uh, oh, really? Cool. I, I lived. Uh, in Massachusetts, lived in Connecticut, and I was always surprised and taken back. Same thing with Jersey. I have family in Jersey. Like you said, when you think about the Northeast, you always think about the big cities and stuff, you know, Boston, New York City, you know, things of that nature. But you go Western Connecticut, you know, Western Massachusetts, upstate New York, Western New York, if you – didn't know any better, you would almost swear you were back down south depending on what time of the year. Like if you're in the, in the spring or the summer when there's not four feet of snow on the ground, you would almost swear that you were in the south because you see these big fields, you know, little small heart, small houses, barns, you know, farm animals, mm-hmm. you know, pastures and stuff like that. It, it, I was really taken back by it when I lived up that way. Well, good, yeah, because that's the when I when I went away to school, you know, people would ask me where I'm from, it's New York, and they're like, "Well, you know, are you a Yankees or a Mets fan?" I'm like, "Well, neither," because it's a seven hour drive down <laughs> to the city from where I am. <laughs> right. And people people don't realize that. So, but it, you know, it, it it's a big, beautiful country. So, but one of the things that and it, it, this this doesn't exist on the same scale now. Things that one hunting uh, activity that I really liked was pheasant hunting. I was going to ask you about that because I know we were talking before, and you said you did a lot of pheasant hunting. You know, back during those days. My mm-hmm. thing um, that I wanted to ask you because now with pheasant hunting, you know, you can do the tower shoots. You can do you know almost like the release birds where it's kind of more of like a sport kind of thing when you were doing it back then was it true wild pheasant hunting or was it you know like the tower shoots and releases because the the stigmatism at least to me with pheasant hunting is like it's a very upper echelon very you know for lack of a better word hoity-toity 
kind of style oh. of a hunting? No, it was it was you know right out. There was there were no tower releases or anything like that. The uh, uh, New York State Department of Environmental Conservation um, (DEC) would uh, stock pheasant out in the wild, and so you'd have generations of pheasants that were actually you know nesting and uh, breeding and you know growing in population out there. And they're all ring ringneck pheasants, which were brought in from China. So okay. you had the state would, would stock these. And again, you know, when a pheasant hunting season was in the fall, corn was already out. So cornfields were, you know, stubble, but that was a great place for pheasant hunting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and these are out in the, out in the wild. And again, you know, you'd, you'd have three or four guys. Some One of them had a dog, a German short hair. And that dog was fun to work with because you know he would he would point out and he'd flush pheasants out and uh, you know we you'd get a couple pheasants you know a season and that was that was fine but it was it was kind of ingrained in in the society too because it, it wasn't hoity toity it was you know your average your average person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and when I'm thinking back I I I was in a cooking club in high school and. One of the things we cooked was pheasant. Mm. You know, so we're in high school, we're cooking pheasant, and you know, the the, the <laughs> teachers say, you know, you got to make sure you you get all them pellets out of there. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't hoity toity. It, it kind of changed. You know, the, the the wild populations are are kind of way down. I'm not even. Uh, let's see. I think uh, Upland, South Carolina, is a good area, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. But you know, you know, you'd go out. Uh, corn would be gone. You'd go through cornfields. You'd uh, go through regular, you know, fields. And working with a dog was great because the, you know, the dog would be out ahead of you at 20, 25 yards and would point and you walk up on it and the pheasant would flush and you'd bring it down. But yeah, I, I've never, I've never hunted from towers or in preserves or something like that. That's just something that didn't seem kind of sporting to me. Yeah, I've. I have like I said, I've never pheasant hunted. Um, I've had quail before. Mm-hmm. Quail is really good. I mean, it's it's like any wild game meat. I always tell people they're like, "Well, how is it? Is it gamey?" Blah 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 blah. I'm always like, if you know what you're doing and you know how to cook it and you season it, it it, yep. it tastes great. And I mean, and that's with anything. That's with meat that you buy out the store. From Publix, or it's you know meat that you you know harvest or kill that you, uh, harvest or kill yourself. At the end of the day, you got to prepare it right. And if you prepare it right, prepare. Jesus, easy for me to say. If you prepare it right, um, it's going to taste good. So I, I've had quail. Like I said, I've never went on a pheasant hunt. Never shot um, pheasant or. Uh, or have pheasant before, but it, it's definitely on the list because I've heard people rave about it. They say that it, it is really good. Yeah, it, it, it's it's delicious. I mean, you you can find it for sale in, in certain stores. Uh, it's just not the same because you know it's it's pretty much farm raised and right and slaughtered and stuff. But uh, see, I'm going back. I got a lot of memories here. I, <laughs> I can think I can think of pheasant hunting season and. and you know, having a cooking club in school for guys, and we're making pheasant. Now, I don't think that passed anywhere today. No, I don't. You know, and it, it's funny because they should 
bring more stuff like that back. Like, I'm a big proponent of bringing back home ec. Like, you should, you know, have classes where you learn how to cook. You should have classes where you learn basic life skills, you know, like with the banking account. And and you could update it where, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people say, well, you learn how to write a check and balance your checkbook and stuff. But learn, you know, how to open a banking account and have a banking app and, you know, just things of that nature. I, I'm a big proponent of that. But getting getting back, you know, to the to the club with the guys and stuff, did you you guys had all the chicks, I would assume, right? Because you could cook. <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, when you really start getting interested in girls, the, the hunting activity declined. <laughs> you know, I, but I... I, I I remember it was, jeez, uh, even my senior year in high school, uh, I had two buddies, uh, Dave and uh, Chuck Gilbert, and we would go pheasant hunting after school. Right. And, you know, we'd go to school, had shotgun in the trunk of my car. And <laughs> Good luck with who's that driving, you know, or, or, yeah, I know, it would freak people out, but, you know, we were... You get after school, you go out in the parking lot, who's going to drive? Oh, we got our hunting clothes and boots and and guns in the back of the car and we change right there and you know or you know i'll drive today and so they're bringing their guns over and we're putting them in the trunk and it was nothing yeah you, know? <laughs> but, you didn't think twice well, about you, it yeah. <laughs> you didn't think twice about it and people were there and you know you teach them oh let me take a look at that you look at the gun and oh, it's nice and where are you gonna go that kind of stuff but you know that that's again that's just growing up in a small town i'm sure it's the same it was the same across the South during that time, too. But, but think, think about that, man. In school, I'm learning how to cook pheasant, you know, and just, you know, times have changed. I'm not, you know, lifting nostalgia here, but. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's some, there are some things, you know, things of that nature that it, it would be okay if you still could do that. Like, if you could you know have a class on cooking wild game meat or you know or something like that like i think that would would be great today like i run across you know kids every now and again that are you know still interested and wanting to get outside wanting to go fish wanting to go hunt you know learn more about you know wild game cooking and and stuff like that and it's funny because yeah i can't remember the guys, you know, like especially when I played baseball and stuff like that um, in high school, you'd see, you know, the guys that had, you know, like the gun racks or whatever in their trucks. And like you said, nobody really thought twice about it because they would either go in the morning before school or, like you said, they would go out depending on what season it was. they go after school. And it, and it really, you know, it wasn't a big thing. But I also, as well, grew up in a small town. Uh, in South Carolina. So, I mean, I think that's something, like you say, there's a parallel there uh, between the small towns. So Yeah, because you knew everybody, and everybody knew you. And if, and if you did something wrong, everybody would know about it. So you, everybody. You didn't want to <laughs> be that guy, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, there's advantages to small towns. Now, so when you finished up high school, you went to college, uh, and then you started. What what drew you to like working in television and media, and and you know like running camera? Because I know eventually you would run, you know you would shoot uh, some hunting shows and, and shoot 
you know, some some hunts and do some edits and stuff like that. But what what drew you into all of that? You know, coming out of high school, like was you doing it in high school? Was did it not happen for no, you I until you out I of college? Or I was I was into still photography and actually started uh, college as a fine arts photography major. And you know, there's a point where it's like you know I'm spending all my time in a dark room, and uh, you know I just wanted to get outside. And I um, was an English major for a few years, and then I I, I turned to journalism. Um, when I was in college, let's see, I, I had at one point, I was shooting and directing for a cable access channel. Um, I was what, working on, work, doing news on a radio station. Oh, wow. And I was working for PM Magazine. I don't know if you recall that. It was a magazine-type show back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. I do remember PM Magazine. Where, so where did you go to school at? Uh, University of Dayton. That's right. That's right. In Ohio. And, yeah, and okay. I had I had Final Four tickets this year too. I was wholly expecting them to be in the championship game at least. Well, that's right because we saw your boy uh, Obi Toppin. O- Obi, yeah. We went so, we went there on a on a on a Friday night. That was the first time that I'd ever been to Dayton. Obviously, to either do it to to work. And the first time I've ever been there ever. And different vibe in Dayton. I'm pretty sure yeah, it's, 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 it's different, probably a lot different from when you were there. But even, you know, the couple of days that I was there, it's like, this is a little bit different. Well, it's a, it's a basketball school. I mean, that's a, they were in the championship game last time, I think it was 67 against UCLA. So, you know, they're, they're familiar with that. And, even I was I started school there in seventy six. And uh yeah, place was packed then and they've they've uh redone that arena a few times, but there's still thirteen, fourteen thousand people every day going to a basketball game there. So wow. it's a it's a good basketball town. So and but I, uh, so you were there you go ahead. No, I was gonna say so you were there and then was that where you you got introduced? Like you said, you were doing the still photography, but that was also where you got introduced into like doing the news and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I, I was a photography major for just a short time, and uh, you know, I, I changed to English. I like writing, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty good in that aspect. And my my plan at that point was okay. I'm going to be I could be an English teacher because I had a really good English teacher in high school that inspired me there. Mm-hmm. But, um, again, you know, it was, um, again, it goes back to a woman. There was a girl that, you know, I was dating that was, you know, into that stuff. And that kind of pulled me in that direction. And, uh, there I go. And I found out, you know, well, geez, I can still write. I'm doing journalism. I like telling stories. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's, that's where I, where I was. I got out of college and I went back to, you know, that small town upstate New York. And I was, you know, doing news on a radio station. I was. Uh, anchoring the afternoon and then reporting on stuff in the evening. And um, I got a call from the news director at the ABC affiliate in Rochester one morning. I was, I was working till like 1130 at night. He called about eight in the morning and I answered the phone. And I said, oh, I got, a, I got a great job. I love it. You know, thanks for calling. And I hung up and I went back to bed and sat bolt right up, you know, just called him right back and said, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
And, you know, it was an editor's job, so I was editing, uh, news, you know, stories for the newscast. I did that, and I worked into news photography, being the news photographer. I was going out with a camera, a big deck on my shoulder, mm. you know, battery belts. It added another 85 pounds to me. Mm. But um, you, I loved it. You had to be in some physical condition to to be a camera person back in those days. I mean, even when I got to J school in 95 and I, you know, I told this story to your class, you know, I'm out there in my Sunday best in the heat of Columbia, South Carolina, carrying a camera and then carrying the bag, which was your camera deck. You know, it, this was only, you know, on the end of that era of cameras before they started making cameras where the deck uh, you know, you could have like the tape or because it was right, still it was tape. All one piece. Yeah, before it was all one piece, it was still tape. It was no cards yet. It were, I think, uh, you know, the, the 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 new hot thing when when I was uh, in school was the DVC Pro. The little small DVC uh-huh. Pro uh, tapes was starting to come in fashion. We hadn't made it to uh, to to cards yet and, you know, kind of compacting this thing. So starting even, you know, when you were out there, you know, you got a camera, you got a bag, like you said, you got a belt pack, man. It it is physically taxing, and I can't imagine shooting (laughs) a hunt, much less a turkey hunt, where everything you do pretty much has to be stealth and concealed walking around carrying almost another person on you while you are trying to film hunts and stuff like that. You know, we, we weighed the, we weighed the camera, the deck, uh, there was a battery belt to power the light. There was a separate battery belt to power the camera. Um, and we weighed all those one time and it was 85 pounds. Jesus. That is a, that is a, a, a small, you know, like a, a decent sized child to small human being. Yeah, easily. Uh, you know, and I have students today that, you know, they complain about, you know, these two-pound cameras. And I pull, out, <laughs> I pull out a picture of me back with all that stuff on, you know. Um, I had pretty well-defined shoulders and, and arms and stuff, too, at that point. And uh, it was like, you got nothing to complain about. Look at this. And uh, so, you know, that opens their eyes up. But you're right, um, you know. But, you know, that's what you had. So it didn't, you know, I, I got 85 pounds of stuff. If I'm going out doing a turkey hunting story, I got 85 pounds of stuff. <laughs> you know, so, you know, that, that's what you had. Right. That was your, that was your toolkit, you know. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I did some turkey. Well, doing news um, in upstate New York and Rochester, and I used to love doing this stuff. Like the first day of trout season was always April 1st. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... I knew some. I knew some streams that where there were a lot of trout fishermen on. Sometimes it would be some snow coming down, and you know, guys out, guys are out fly fishing, and it just made it just beautiful pictures. Um, ice fishing in the winter time. You know, the nicest, the nicest looking story I've ever done. I had new tubes, Plumicon tubes. This is before all this newfangled cameras. Everything was tubes. Right. I had new Plumicon tubes put in my camera. And um, did an ice fishing story. And I'm out on, it was Hemlock Lake, and guys were out ice fishing. It was a 
beautiful day, had puffy white clouds, and I white balanced on the clouds just to see what it would look like later. And it was, it's still to this day the most beautiful looking footage I've ever shot on any camera. You know, guys out ice fishing. Wow. Um, That's so we, we, we did a lot of we did a lot of fishing stories, a lot of hunting stories. First first day of deer hunting season uh, was always big. You'd go somewhere, you know, county or two over. What about um, uh, what about geese and uh, geese and ducks? Was that a big uh, big thing up there? It is uh, in the, the lake. Uh, I grew up in the Finger Lakes, and Seneca Lake was a big uh, duck hunting lake. And this guy, he's long gone now, but his uh, his decoys are still uh, you know, world-renowned for his working duck decoys. His name was Roy Jap, J-A-P-P. Mm-hmm. If you look that up in Roy Jap decoys, you'll find some. I got one got one in my office here at home. It's just a beautiful-looking working duck. You know, it's beat wood, up. Wooden decoy. Got a big wood decoy, beat up. Got a big, you know, just lead slab on the bottom of yep. it. Yep. And um, so, yeah, because uh, you'd have a lot of canvas back, uh, duck, right on the flyway. So, you know, duck hunting was big. Geese, too. Let me think what else. You know, they were always, yeah, they were always big. I'd, I'd never done any uh, goose hunting mm-hmm. or duck hunting. I bought a dog one time with the intention of hunting duck, but uh, it just didn't fit in my schedule. So, yeah. Yeah, no, and it that that's the the unfortunate thing sometimes is that you know life and schedules and and you know like I said just life in general sometimes kind of takes you away from you know the outdoors or takes you away from from doing those activities. Right, it gets harder and harder. You know, years ago, you know that was just part of your daily routine, but now. Uh, we, we got too much going on to, to really do everything we want to do. One here, let me mention this too. Um, this is this is interesting. I always did stories on this every year when I was working in Rochester. Is uh, salmon fishing? Mm, love a good salmon. Now, what's that? I say love a good salmon. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> these, Rochester has the Genesee River running right through it. And there's a series of waterfalls um, right downtown Rochester. That's how it got to start. You know, it was flower. They call it the Flower City. Mm-hmm. Yep. They bring wheat up there and grind it in flour, put it on the Erie Canal, and ship it east or west. Um, but the, the river, it runs north. It's one of the few north-running rivers in the world. Uh, it runs north and empties into Lake Ontario. And it's, it's, it's like, there's a gorge that runs you know, from the city out to the lake. And it's salmon every year would, would spawn there. And so that was a big salmon hunt. People come from all over the world to, to fish salmon there at that time of the year. Man, that, did yeah. you, that, was that something that you you partook in as well when you uh, well, had I would some do, downtime? I would, do stories, I would do stories on it. At that point, you know, I'm, I'm just, Working full time, doing stories and this and that. And I used to love outdoor stories, so yeah. you know, I would pitch, I would pitch. You know, salmon are are running up the river. It was also big, you know, charters out on the lake on Lake Ontario. But but it was just a really unusual thing every year when they would spawn because snag fishing was allowed. Yep. In this river, 
Wow. Which is kind of unusual. All the you know salmon are coming up here to spawn, and usually they die after they spawn. So you know they let people just snag them. So they'd have these rods, big, heavy, heavy rods, line mm-hmm. with multiple hooks on them, and they're just throwing them out there and pulling in, pulling in salmon. Man, so what are you? Because I know that you know you're teaching now. Are you doing anything or any kind of stories that keep you connected to the outdoors? I know you said it's been a long time since you've been out, you know, hunting or anything like that. But have you done stuff to like while you're teaching or, you know, like I say, in your life now that kind of keeps you connected to the outdoors? I pay attention to what's going on. You know, I I, I haven't hunted or fished in, in a long time, but I, I like observing people and seeing how things are done. Um, so I pay attention there and I, I freelanced too. Cause after I, uh, let's see, I, I left, I left Rochester. I had a chief photographer's job in Michigan. So I moved out to Michigan. I'm still doing the same kind of story. You know, it was first day of trout season, first day of, you know, deer season and the like there. And I left Michigan and I ran a production house at the university of Notre Dame for a while and then moved back to Buffalo in 2002 and started freelancing and you know i'd get these calls i had a call one time and I'll, I'll tell you this a little bit we talked about turkey hunting uh, i had a call from two guys in, in new york city <laughs> and they and they wanted to do a, a, a pilot for a hunting show mm-hmm. and you know okay you know you pay me enough money and i'll uh shoot monkeys flinging pool at each other <laughs> So, so yeah, okay, you know, fine. And then, uh, you know, I met them out. It was uh, southwestern New York. I'm trying to think. It's probably out in the middle of nowhere, somewhere towards Angola, New York. And uh, met them out there at like 3 in the morning. These guys, they're, uh, both their names are Dick. They're, they're Dick. So it's Richard and Richard Jr. And the show they wanted to do was Two Dicks. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so right there, you know, okay, this is gonna be, this is gonna be interesting. So I had these New York City guys out there, and they're gonna go turkey hunting. And well, um, what can you tell me if I ask you right quick? What's what's the number one rule for turkey hunting? Uh, be still. Right, be still. Be 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 unobserved. Don't you because turkey will pick up on anything right so these guys are out here cussing at each other chain smoking uh <laughs> had they ever they, they, turkey hunted before did they just come I, up and wake I, up one morning and said hey let's make a turkey show <laughs> yeah yeah and so you know they'd sit in one spot for five minutes well there's no turkey here let's and so we're you know packing everything up moving off to the woods again and Jesus. so we, we, we didn't see any turkey that day. Yeah, I, I, I would find <laughs> it find it hard uh hard pressed to believe, uh especially in a situation like that. Good grief. <laughs> yeah, so that was but you know, I'll do I'll do stuff like that every now and then, you know, I'll pick up a pick up a shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh I've been teaching my fourth year, so I haven't been I, I cut my freelancing stuff down to about four clients. Yeah. And um that I was maintaining and 
let's see, so two of those are Atlanta United and the Falcons. So that's those are pretty much gone. Well, so another one I did is a company out of uh, Iowa. I shoot and produce coaching videos for them and oh, okay. um, and advanced auto parts. So you know we'll see where those goes. But half my freelance business is just boom, gone because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. But the good the the good thing about at least the sports part because I mean obviously it's affected uh, affected me as well, but. In eventually, some way, some form, it's going to come back, and we'll get a chance to get back, you know, to the to the sports and and be around the sports and things that we love to do in 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 that aspect. Oh, absolutely! I'm 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 looking at seeing how Major League Baseball is going to going to be going in this because the thing I read this morning said that there's not going to be any fans in the stadium, and your first thought is, oh, that's terrible, but. You know, baseball's revenue stream is TV right now. Yeah, yeah, and that's why, and and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is like that's why they want to get back to playing because you know, in order to get the money from the TV revenue, you actually got to have games that are put on TV. So if you're just kind of sitting around and you know not playing any games or anything, then it's kind of hard to draw the revenue when you're to you know get money for something that you're not delivering. So. Right, but you, you look at you look at a team's got a game on a Tuesday night, you know, and they might have eight, nine thousand people in the stadium to view, but the, you know their TV viewership is way up there. So right, um, especially in baseball, baseball is all about the uh, the home market, like the TV revenue that you get from you know from your home market. Um, absolutely, advertising and even rights fees. So that's why they want to get get back and i think you know another thing that a lot of people don't understand is like it's not just the players it's not just the coaches support staff and stuff there are a lot of people that work around those sports so it, it it's definitely you know it's not just the oh the selfish players or oh the selfish owners you know there there is an economic boost to these communities and people that are working you know working from people that work at the stadiums to you know people like us that work in tv to uh, broadcast those games, I mean, it, and it's, to the, right down to the people parking cars outside. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it's a we're all kind of joined that joined together uh, in the process. So as soon as they get back, you know, it's going to help a lot of people out. Yep, yep. I think I think people realizing now that you know we can do stuff if we take precautions too. Right, um, right. You just you and, be safe, you know, be smart, be safe, and, and, you know, try to stay out of harm's way, and, and you can kind of go on about your business. Absolutely. So, well, Steve, I appreciate it, man. Like I said, I knew when I got a chance to catch up with you last week, talking to your class and stuff and just knowing your background and wanting to get you on and just kind of catch up with you some more. I really enjoyed it, man. Thank you for stopping by. Well, man, I, I really appreciate it. It, it, it. it meant a lot to me. I got I just add one more thing. I, I've been bringing guests in. I have to have these classes online now instead of right face-to-face in the classes. So I'm like, yeah, I can bring in people from around, around the country, you know, that do different things in the business and brought you in, and normally I would, you know, it's like 20 minutes. You know, they talk for a few minutes, asking questions, students ask questions. You were on for almost an hour and a half, and a time <laughs> flew by, man, and I really appreciate you joining, and they, they loved having you in there. 
Well, I appreciate it. I, I don't know if, if all of that was uh, interest or me babbling, but either way, it, it's something that I like to do, and it's my way of giving back. So, I, I, like I said, I'm glad that you had me, and I really enjoyed it. All right. Cool, man. All right, man. Well, we will have to catch up soon. And like I said, thanks for uh, coming by, and I'll talk to you. All right. I appreciate you, man. Bye-bye. Land. Once again, I want to thank Steve for coming through, talking to me here on the Bryantland Show. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Uh, next week, we're going to have another guest, very prominent guest from the Pursuit Channel, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Eric Morris. You don't want to miss that, so make sure you uh, come back, make the download again to uh, listen to that conversation. And before I get ready to get up on out of here, I just want to remind you guys, BryantlandCountry.com is our website, BryantlandCountry.com website has everything Bryantland. We have merch. You know, we got our uh, past podcasts, archive podcasts. We got our videos that we've done. Make sure you take the time, excuse me, to go and check out BryantlandCountry.com. Make sure you also you check out the good folks over at Onyx Hunt. They are a proud sponsor of the podcast. Make sure you go check them out. They're mapping technology. While I was taking my crazy walk in the woods, I had my Onyx maps out marking different trails and stuff that I was coming across, uh, marking deer sign and stuff. I did not mark the crazy strollers and all the other foolishness that I found out in the woods, but I was marking the trails using my Onyx hunt maps. So uh, make sure you go check those good folks out at Onyx Hunt. Come back next week for another episode of the Bryantland Show. Make sure you tell five people to tell five more people and we'll be right here next week. You guys have a great week and we'll see y'all next week on another episode of the Bryantland Show. 